Hello and welcome to another In Conference with Michael Jackson right here on your favorite podcast platform. This is cliffcentral.com and this show, In Conference with Michael Jackson, is where you get to meet the people I'm lucky enough to share my stages as a conference speaker with around the world. We're always looking for the top talent, business people, entrepreneurs, journalists, the best people that we can bring you to give you an insight into what's going on in our world around us. And I'm particularly delighted to be able to introduce to you a man who literally is building a career platform that is second to none from a South African base, yet travels around the world. He's a top economist. You can't miss him in the media. His name is Daniel Silk, and I'm delighted to say he's joining us finally from his home office in Cape Town, because we've struggled long and hard to get him on his travels. But Daniel, it's lovely to have you with us. How are you, sir? I'm very good, Michael. I'm delighted to eventually be here with you on the program. So, a top economist. I mean, you've got a song that I know you buy, uh, based on the old Daniel Boone thing. Let me sing that quickly. It's, Daniel Silk was a man, was a big man, and he talked about the politics, and then he did the economics too. That really sums you up in my mind, and that's how I think of you. Whenever I see you on Al Jazeera, the BBC, the financial news, wherever it might be, how did you build this massive economist brand? Where did it come from? Well, uh, Michael, let me first say that um, I prefer to refer to myself as a political economy specialist. And I think that uh, these various disciplines have their own characteristics, they have their own skills base, and also they have their own academic base. And in my case, my start was via political science or political analysis. And over my career, it's become absolutely clear that the linkages between politics and economics have become very much more direct, particularly here in South Africa, but frankly, globally. Uh, And as a result, my own niche has developed into a relatively unique niche in that I uh, provide both political analysis and also economic trend analysis, and I marry the two. In other words, what's the effect of politics on economics and what's the effect of economics on politics? And that, I think, is the interesting issue, because in many instances, economists themselves, pure economists, don't really want to delve too much into the political analysis. And most political analysts don't really want to delve too much into the economic side of things. And I kind of marry the two. Uh, So that's sort of my particular niche in terms of the information that I offer. Uh, But for me, my background has been very specifically in political analysis and political science, both in the academic sphere and then also, interestingly enough, as a, I should say, practicing politician in public life for a period of six years, um, followed uh, by um, a development of my consultancy business and, of course, my public speaking uh, to largely the corporate sector. When I've seen you uh, or shared the stage with you on those rare privileges when we work together, You know, I always think, wow, I mean, a political economist, as you describe yourself, being booked for a business to business conference, which is where you and I most ply our trade. It seems like a strange mix, but my goodness, it really, really works. You have this incredible style where you've almost got um, it's it's like a personality that comes out onto the stage and you capture the essence 
of what's really going on in the world in the most up-to-date, vibrant, and dynamic way. I watch audiences, you know, virtually give you a standing ovation every time you've finished. And thinking of this, I saw recently a post you put on Facebook where you were on stage, somebody had taken the image, and behind you was one of the slides that you were using. Donald Trump on the one side with his nylon hair blowing in the wind, and on the other side of the screen, you had Amelia, South African proud corn on the cob with its tassels flying in the wind. And there was something on Facebook about how do you tell the difference between the two? I mean, the stuff that you put out, it, it's almost theatrical, but it's so relevant and so topical. Is that what you strive to do, Daniel, when you're on stage? Yeah, look, what I strive to do is to provide my clients with the most up-to-date information possible in as entertaining a format as possible. That, to me, is critical because I'm dealing with topics that historically can be seen as quite technical, quite dry, uh, graphs, analysis, statistics, GDP figures, growth figures, you name it. This can all be presented either in a very uh, uninspiring fashion using uninspiring slides or, in fact, you can pepper it up to make it entertaining, to make it lively, and I think to make the audience really enjoy what's coming next in terms of the slide presentation. You know, Michael, in our business, there's a lot of discussion about whether we should be using slides, how much PowerPoint should be using. I'm one of those strange people that uses PowerPoint, but I think it's how you use imagery and it's how new and recent and how you convey the essence of the figures on the slides accompanied by arresting images that really make the difference, particularly in my line of work. Um, and I spend a lot of time, I must tell you, uh, refreshing each and every presentation, customizing each and every presentation for the specific industry, finding the latest data and facts. Um, and that really is, uh, you know, 90% of my business is research and 10% of my business is doing, I suppose, what I really enjoy, which is conveying that on stage. And you're one of those rare individuals as a top professional speaker across the planet now that has really got this absolutely right. But as a political economy specialist, as you refer to yourself, Daniel, I mean, you're incredibly upbeat. I think people listening to this podcast now are going to pick up on your energy and your enthusiasm. The subject matter that you talk about, though, both politics and economics mixed together. I mean, you know, can you remain upbeat about it on a continuous level? You know, the, the normal de facto standard is it's got to be doom and gloom, surely. Well, it is increasingly difficult, I must tell you, especially when clients want a more positive view of the world to present that positive view without also giving the other side. And I think what I try to do is I try to provide a, a, a checklist, a positive and negative checklist. I mean, there's no, I, I think that in every story, um, we can either see the world with glass half full or the glass half empty. Uh, and I think especially in dealing with, well, not only the South African domestic political economy, but frankly, the global issues are also very volatile at the moment. Uh, whatever I talk about really can be presented in incredibly negative uh, light, or in fact, we can see literally a light at the end of the tunnel if we really want to. So getting the balance right, being sensitive, I think, in particular to the type of audience that I'm dealing with as well. It's very important for me to know the makeup and uh, the composure of the audience itself. I think those are critical aspects in, in, in framing a message that is a realistic message about where we are at. And I think we need to be realistic because I think in this country we have some serious problems. In Europe, there are some serious problems. The global economy also more lackluster than ever before. But amidst all of that, 
We have to look to see where, are the, where is the opportunity, where is indeed the bright side, and how do we come out at the other end looking a little bit better. And I try to convey it, but I don't shy away from reality. It's not a rosy color picture with me. It's the harsh reality of where we're at. The truth of the story is, though, that we're living in a time of not only incredibly fast change, but the world is developing and there's money to be made. There are opportunities more so than ever before, absolutely everywhere. No matter who sits in the White House, who runs Downing Street, or indeed who sits in charge here in South Africa as well. Well, you, you are 100% correct. And even when I talk, for example, on global issues, I, I, I love to do presentations on uh, risk, what I call uh, risk trend drivers in the world and resultant opportunities. And there are any number of risks in the world. One of the risks that I talk about, just as an example, is the rising issue of climate change in the world, of the threat to stability uh, because of global warming, because of the migration of people from one part of the planet to the other. And within that risk, which sounds a pretty serious risk, are tremendous opportunities. There are tremendous opportunities in terms of managing our cities to withstand uh, this kind of change that we are going to see. Uh, there are tremendous opportunities when it comes to the movement and migration of people to the design of buildings and systems that will withstand some of the challenges that we as humanity are going to face. So again, even within the darkest of, I suppose, the risks that humanity faces from a business point of view, there's always that opportunity. You have to be aware of the risks in a balanced fashion and then be able to act on it. And that's what I try to uh, highlight to an audience. And always, as you say, looking for a balanced view, whether it's you know from an upbeat perspective or not. I mean, let's look at the world as it stands right now. Trump versus Clinton. Have you got a prediction as to who's going to fill that seat behind the Oval Office desk? Well, I think my prediction certainly would be that uh, Donald Trump looks uh, in terms of his appeal to a broad range of demographics that he needs to in the United States. On the basis of that, it would seem that Hillary Clinton should be the likely winner in that direct contest. Remember, in the United States, women have become a powerful force numerically uh, in terms of the, pop the voting population. Um, immigrants, uh, Latinos, Hispanics, African-Americans have all risen in population numbers, broadly speaking. Those are the important demographics, along with millennials, uh, who are more likely to vote for a Democratic candidate like Hillary Clinton than for Donald Trump. And on the basis of that, I think we need to be realistic about the United States. And if I was to make a prediction now, yes, it would be a Clinton victory. I don't know what we call Bill Clinton then because he can't be the first lady, but we'll work on that later. Then the other big issue of the day, I guess, has got to be Brexit. Should Britain pull out of the European Union? Well, this is causing a, a, a fair degree of instability um, across the, uh, the European Union itself, not, not just in the UK. I've just returned from the UK. In fact, there are many concerned about this. Look, uh, my view, again, is that uh, the United Kingdom, over the course of the last 10, 15 years, has become more integrated into Europe geopolitically. Uh, the UK and Europe now are very, very close. The trade linkages are extensive. And I myself would not support a Brexit by the UK from, uh, from the EU. But the issue really surrounding Brexit, uh, I think, is an issue about security. I think for many Brits in particular, 
migration, what's happening in terms of this, what we call unforced migration, uh, people voluntarily moving from parts of the world into Europe, largely for political reasons to escape, escape hardship, be it in the Middle East or in parts of Africa or Afghanistan. Those issues are creating great sensitivities, consternation across the European continent and are also polarizing politics. I think one of the big characteristics of the world going forward is this polarization of political views. You see it in Europe with the advance of right-wing conservative political parties that are largely anti-immigrant. Um, and I think this has caused perhaps for concern how we integrate immigrants into Europe will determine the, the political future of Europe. And that really is a challenge that I think uh, Europe hasn't quite grasped as yet. Do you think the Brits will stay in or are you expecting the withdrawal? I think the Brits will stay in. I think uh, better the devil they know, in a sense, than the devil they don't know. Um, and I think the vote will be relatively close. But still, I think for most Brits, uh, the unknown of exiting the EU and what that would mean for trade and what that would mean for the freedom of movement, cross-border trade in particular, that unknown, I think, will keep many voters perhaps on the side of the Remain camp. Well, I hope on both correct uh, on both counts you're absolutely correct. I mean, you know, the thought of Trump sitting behind the, the desk in the Oval Office scares the hell out of me, as well as Boris Johnson uh, becoming Prime Minister of Britain. I mean, we've already got our own idiot Zuma to deal with here, really, haven't we? Well, Michael, I just think we're seeing this this polarization of politics, and I think we've seen it, of course, uh, with the, on the Brexit side. We've seen it in the United States where the establishment politicians are being disrupted. You know, I think you talk about this in, in, in your presentations as well, the issue of disruption. It's not just technological disruption in the world that is changing business, but we are seeing extensive political disruption in South Africa. We have our own political disruptor. Uh, his name is Julius Malema, and he has taken it upon himself to change the nature of uh, parliamentary debate, of conduct, uh, we see it in the Philippines, where a political disruptor was elected as president only a few weeks ago. Uh, we've seen it across the world. And I think this polarization is interesting. It shows that for many voters in countries in here in South Africa and elsewhere, um, establishment political parties are not providing sufficient impetus for voters to get behind them. Voters are looking for something fresh. They're frustrated, they're annoyed, they're irritated, whether they are in the US or, frankly, even when they're here in South Africa. And this does pose, I think, a more unstable political regime for many countries going forward. I love it. And looking for uniqueness not only in politics, but also in business as well. The words of Daniel Silk. Daniel, we've got about a minute or so left. Um, I'm thrilled when I see you on stage. I think you're one of the best speakers I've ever seen across the planet. How do people find out more about you, your views, where you are, what you're doing, and also how to book you? Where do they find you? What's your website? Well, Michael, I'm very appreciative for your comments. I can only return them about you. My website is uh, www.danielsilk.com. I'm on Twitter, at Daniel Silk. And uh, I'm best contacted through LinkedIn, which I think is a very, very good medium. And again, search for me under Daniel Silk and uh, add me and uh, we can liaise further. And that's Daniel, the normal spelling, and Silk, S-I-L-K-E, so that you know it. Go and Google Daniel now. Look out for him. He's on a stage at a conference near you somewhere. And if you're planning a conference, I'd suggest strongly that you put Daniel into it. Um, thank you, sir. We're out of time. It just remains for me to thank my guest, Daniel Silk, for being with us on In Conference with Michael Jackson right here. And we look forward to being with you on our next podcast. Thanks for being with us. Cliff Central. The revolution. I've got something important to tell you. Cliffcentral.com.